You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open up to, uh, 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 we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. Um, uh, there's a free prayer journal for you out there if you're new here, if you want to grab one of these daily, weekly, monthly rhythms of prayer. Um, and uh, uh, my kids were at a um, CYA camp and they had memorized over the summer Psalm 91. And uh, scripture is like a checking account, but it's also like a savings account in the sense that the scripture teaches us to build on the rock when it's raining and when it's not. And when the storm comes and the wind blows, uh, what, what we're wanting is for the pathways of our mind our mind mapping to be structured like the mind of Christ. And we want to think like that. And that's a daily, monthly, it's not a textbook where you just check in and check out. It's, it's a meditation process where we're putting our minds on the words of Jesus and sharing that with one another. So this is just a helpful uh, process. This is in the goodie bag outside. If you're new here, you just want to grab it. Anyone here have um, uh, siblings? Anyone here come from, from big families? I like that. Um, and so... Uh, uh, yeah, we are in a series called One Another. We're talking about gospel-oriented relationships. We're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ today. Um, I am an only child, which kind of explains a little bit of um, why I am the way that I, why I'm such a prima donna, basically, is what I'm trying to say, uh, why, why I think everything is about me. Um, and so I don't, I don't really have um, that uh, real emotional, I have a cognitive understanding of having a sibling, but I don't have that emotional feeling of having somebody. I had a half-brother, but he's like 10 years apart, so... We really didn't. He was like my kid brother, and we didn't really have a lot to fight about. Plus, he lived in Hong Kong, so I didn't, I didn't see him a ton. So I kind of was like an uncle, you know, in some ways. Uh, but I did have a, a buddy named Matt Tansy, if I can try to stretch out and empathize with you guys with, this, with seven kids in your van. Um, I got, and Matt, Matt would push my buttons enough. I feel like that is the sign of a true brother, is just under your skin, did nothing, and gets you up to 10 in a second. And I will confess to you one time in Albany, New York, Things got a little heated, and I did put an ice ball on purpose in the middle of a snowball and got him, got him in the back. Yeah, he, I was pretty frustrated with him. He was kind of like younger than me, and uh, he was not allowed to watch as much TV for, as me. And so he would come over sometimes when I was watching uh, Batman Returns, uh, or Batman the Animated Series at 5.30, and he was mad because I could watch and he couldn't watch it. So he would just sit there uh, at the screen door just like staring at me because I wouldn't come out and play. For 30 minutes, he would just be like, he was just like, you know, so, so frustrated with me. And now we do have the four kids, so I'm swimming in my, uh, in, in my void of siblinghood. Now, uh, I did see an Instagram uh, the other day where the dad put a cardboard box between like seat one and seat two on a, on a car trip. So literally the thing panned over and the kids were just sitting in a waiting room, like confession booth, and they couldn't like see each other. And I was like, that's not funny to me. That's actually really wise. I think I might try that out because um, they breathe on each other and it's not, <laughs> it's not good, you know. All right, so if you have a sibling uh, or if you have like a, a brother or a teammate or something that was like a brother or sister to you, just, just close your eyes, okay? And let's just do this for five seconds, okay? So you're picturing them in your mind's eye, right? And just those braces with those Cheetos in the middle of them and just that hot breath. And then, you know, all right, okay, so just picture this, right? And their hands like are just have maple syrup, like they haven't been washed, right? And they're breathing on your neck, okay? You picture that with me? Are you there? All right, so open your eyes. Okay, so be honest with me, okay, we're in church, like, is there somebody other than your sibling that you would rather suplex in the world, that you would rather get into a cage fight, and you could just at certain moments in your history just, just, just drop kick them, right? But at the same time, you take a bullet for them. 
Isn't that what a sibling is? What is a sibling in a definition? It couldn't be by blood or something else. A sibling is somebody that you want to both suplex and take a bullet for at the same time. That's about the way I explain. You guys know what a suplex is? A suplex is when you're in that big like WWF thing and you basically like run your back into these ropes to make sure to get some like, you know, momentum and then you sling yourself forward and you grab them and just bridge them backwards like this. Like that's what, that's what I mean by a suplex. And then you kind of get up and like point to the crowd and you see them, I'm, you're fantasizing this, right? Of some of the things they did to you and you just jump and you just go boom and just drop them, right? But if somebody were to say something about your sister or your brother, you say, I'm allowed to say that, but boy, you better watch your mouth. You don't come between me and my brother. That's what a sibling is. Somebody you want to suplex and take a bullet for at the same time. And the truth is, it's the reason why is because your sibling, no matter what, no matter what happens, come what may, tides rise, things change, people break up. You can have an ex-boyfriend, ex-wife, ex-spouse, ex-job. You can't have an ex-sibling. And siblings are a part of us. Like it or not, they're stuck with you like a little shadow, right? And they're always a part of our lives. Um, because they grew up in the same, same house as us. They went to the same school as us. They have the same history. You know, your sibling, like, as you get older, you realize, like, the reason why y'all fought so much is because they were dealing with stuff. And the older you get and the wiser you get, you realize, like, they weren't really being annoying to me. They were, like, anxious inside. And they were struggling. And you get your sibling. Like, even if they're the most annoying, like, you call out all their stuff and tell you, you know, write, write, run down the rap sheet of all the things that annoys all the public about them, but you see on the inside what they're struggling with, and so instead of contempt, you have compassion, because they're your sibling. Your sibling's a part of you because um, you have the same parents, and even if you really were frustrated at them, like, the love that you have for your parent and the mother and the father that, that raised them, that worked for them, you saw that even when they weren't seeing it, and you you have a, a, a connection and an empathy because of the love that you have for the parent that's bestowed on the sibling. And really, you have a sense of connection with the sibling because it's kind of like you. They're like a different version of you. Uh, that, if, that, if, that if your dad would have favored them instead of you, you maybe would have been more like them. Or if, if your dad favored you instead of them, maybe you guys would be the same. You're coming from the same place. And in a way, siblings, no matter what, come what may, tide rise, things change, people break up with each other, but the sibling is always with you. So um, Jesus says this, um, to the church one day uh, in Luke 8, 19 through 20, not our main text. It says this, um, then his uh, mothers and his brothers, so this is his, his blood family, um, Mary and, and uh, James, and, and some of these people are coming to come and get him, and he's busy doing ministry. So verse 19 says, his mother and his brothers come to him, and they couldn't get to him because he was just so busy, and um, when you coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, right? So it's just like they're trying to get a hold of him. He's busy. He's got the crowd around him, and... Um, and, and, and what Jesus could say in, in, in verse chapter 20, he could say, hey, I'm busy, like, I'll get back to you. But he decides to make instead, you know, has a Jesus moment, right, like this, this deep kingdom moment. Instead of just saying, you know, I love my parents and I'll get back to you later, he, he speaks about the truth of the moment beyond really just the common Tuesday, but into eternal things. He says in verse 20, he says, you know, your mothers and, oh, verse 20, they say your mothers and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Verse 21, he says, well, let me answer this question with the real answer. The real answer here is not just that I'm busy, but also my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is how Jesus uh, redefines family when it comes to the blood-bought, baptismal, spirit-filled church. Is In verse 21, he answers them, anybody that's in Christ is a mother, is a brother, is a sister, is a relative, is a parent within the body of Christ. Anybody that lives out the word of God in their day-to-day -day life becomes family. 
And so uh, there's a circle that I'm going to be working on today a little bit. Um, comes from 3DM, uh, rather se- several circles. But uh, what Jesus is saying in a, in a pretty dramatic way is that um, if you are here today, you're breathing and you have a heartbeat and you have been baptized and you consider yourself a Christian, that what Jesus is saying is that anyone else that also has been baptized and has the spirit inside of them and has been blood-bought, who's also a Christian, is not just a stranger down the street or just not somebody you sit next to in a pew, but they're your brother and they're your sister. We're in a time period when I think uh, we are a very holistic society and we value relationship and we value the knownness of life. But what Jesus necessarily must be saying is that we are family, we are brothers and sisters with everyone that calls themselves a Christian that is blood-bought and spirit-filled, not only with the closest people with us, the intimate circle of the three, or necessarily just the 12, the next seven to 12 people that are around us, or necessarily just the 120 that makes up the social circle around us, but with anybody that calls themselves a Christian in any nation, they are a brother and a sister to us. The intimate church is a brother and a sister to us. The private church, the people that you do small group, they're not just your friends, they're not just your acquaintances, they are brothers and sisters to us. People that are in our social circle, this church is about maybe 200 people right now, and it's just beyond that social circle. And we're feeling the perimeters of that. It's coming, some of the relationships in this church are becoming more public than they are social. But nonetheless, in the social circle, the 120 that you have surrounding you, that is the church. Therefore, the 120 Christians that are close to you are brothers and sisters. And then even that one in Thailand that you've never met are brothers and sisters, which means that we are not only putting up with people like this, that we are actually part of this. They are a part of, 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 of me, and they are a part of you inextricably, no matter what, tide, rise, anything changes, that we are a part of one another because we have the same Father. That is the logic of the New Testament, of the gospel. Because God loves me and I love him, then I love you. That you, even though I can't see it and don't act like it and don't feel like it sometimes, the most true thing about us, beyond our calendars and conveniences, is that you are a brother to me. And I probably don't get that. I probably don't walk like that all the time. One day I'll get it. One day the plank will be out of my eye and I'll get that. But we have Christ in common. We have the same Father. We have the same Savior. That like, um, I don't know, if, 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 if we were all sitting there, right, in, in, in front of a bus and we were all going to be, going to, going to perish together, right? That it wasn't just 120 different Saviors that came. It was one Savior that stepped in front of the bus, one sacrifice for all, that means that we have the same Father, which same Savior, which means we, are, we have the same family, which means we're brothers and sisters, that we have the same Spirit, that we drink from the same Spirit, and therefore that animating this room, the one that's close to you, intimate with you, has rebuked you this week, has spoken to you this week, has reminded you of Scripture that you need this week, was also speaking to me. It's the same Spirit, the same Savior, and the same Father, which means no matter what, that we are siblings in Christ. You, you and I are brothers and sisters. And so uh, I don't know if you were read the fine print before you got baptized, but this is the way I'd put it in a sentence. You were thinking you got baptized for the picnic and go to heaven, but you were, you were not just baptized into heaven. Anyone that's been baptized into heaven is also baptized into the church. I don't know how to tell you this. When you got baptized, you got put into awkward youth meetings in the weird church van. You got baptized into heaven, but you also got baptized, some of you guys, into deacons meetings. Some of you guys got baptized into... Um, meeting missionaries from Taiwan and getting to know their life. You got baptized not just into the pearly gates and the harps. You got baptized into the person next to you. That You got a father, but you also got brothers and sisters, come what may. And we are, no matter what, inextricably linked. We, are, we have one father, one savior, one spirit overall, and so we are a family, like it or not. 
So we're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians 12, and I like to call first, I like to call Corinthians church kind of like the Jerry Springer church, and it's super dysfunctional. Makes me feel a little bit better about my life, okay? Uh, but the reason why it's dysfunctional is because there's a lot of division in it. And uh, as you know, when people get together, they find reasons to feel like they're better than one another, and they create rivalries, and they, and they fight, not only in small family and intimate family, but also in public family, and they find reasons to say, I'm not a part of you, that we're not the same. And so there's divisions in the Corinthian church about leadership, like I follow this guy, and I like this guy's book, but that guy's a loser, and he's a heretic, so I don't follow him. Like, there's division back then, not now, you know, but back then they used to have division with leaders. Uh, division around gifts. I'm the teacher guy. I teach the Bible, but I'm better than you because I don't just pray for people and sit in the corner, you know. We, we have divisions and rivalries around gifts of the Spirit. Uh, we have divisions and ri- rivalries around, around personalities and also around statuses, that they're, the rich people, the, the rich people are having time off of work because they have flexibility and they, you know, work for themselves. And so they get to the communion party early and they get drunk before the poor people can get there, which is, which is confrontation when it comes to intoxication, but also in terms of just justice and, and, and care for one another. And so there's a lot of differences. And here's what, what Paul's trying to teach us as you're coming into the family of God is realizing that those differences are not um, a bug, they're a feature. They're by design. That you and I are not, love does not mean, love means equal, but not even. That this, that the church, we will always have the poor, we will always have the rich, we will always have some people by design that were gifted for teaching and not for prayer, and people that were gifted for prayer and not for teaching. That's a design, that's not a flaw. That's not something to fix, that's something to manage, that's something to, to walk out in. And so this is the way he says in verse 12, just as a body has one but many parts, so he compares it to the anatomy of a human body, uh, a church is like a body in this way. There's many parts, but there's only, there's only one head, there's one Christ with this body that gathers all the parts and gives them reason and animation and motion. In verse 13 he says, and so we're all baptized, not just into life after death, but we were baptized into church picnics. We're baptized into going to Sundays when we felt like it or not. For we were baptized into one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. I mean, that's a, those, are, those are stark uh, communal differences back then. That's like me saying, you know, um, you know, Asian people and white people, Democrats, Republicans, iPhones, Androids, you know, everybody together in one spot. Seeing these differences as diversity, not as division. And we were all given one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of uh, one part, but many parts. And then he breaks it down, you know, like a good youth group uh, sermon does. Verse 15, so for example, if there was a foot and you'd see uh, the foot walking around, you'd never say to the, you never, you know, have the foot be like, oh, you're a hand, so I don't belong to you. Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would uh, not for that reason stop being part of the body. And as if the ear should say, because uh, I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. The whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? The whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Verse 18, you can highlight this one. But in fact, God, God's the one who's placed the different parts together. This isn't by accident. This isn't because, um, because this annoying person needs to learn and grow and to become more like me. He's put different people in the same spot with great diversity, not so they'd divide, but they'd be devoted to each other. This is the goal. It's like the differences are not a flaw, they're a feature. But in fact, God has placed many parts in one body for a reason. There's a reason for it all. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So uh, it was during COVID, and um, as a pastor, you know, people button up quite a bit around me, and so they don't tell me, you know, what they're really thinking a lot of times, especially if it's anywhere critical of the church, you know. Uh, but COVID really had us messed up. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow was eating bread for crying out loud. So 
so this guy stopped me in Publix, and he kind of goes on this little mini rant with me. He's like, I'll run shoot you straight, dude. I'm like, COVID has got me messed up. He's like, but this is my thing right now. He's like, why do we need the church? You know, the, the, the website, business, you know, everybody comes on Sunday, smiles and shakes their head, blah, 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 blah. Why do we need this stupid church thing? I'm at home. We're in the 21st century. I'm at home watching YouTube. I can listen to John Mark Comer and Bill Johnson. I can listen to whoever I want to whenever I feel like it, you know? I'm at home. I'm actually taking responsibility for my kids. I'm teaching my kids. I'm at the table now. I'm praying for my kids at night. I don't want this annoying guy in my small group that I don't really have to deal with, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I'm really doing church. Isn't this what Acts is about? I mean, I have more time on Sunday, so I'm out here biking, and I feel full and rested, and I can go and uh, meet my Hindu neighbor and talk to him and all this. Stuff. Like, why do I need to come to the website church, you know, when I can come to the living room church? Like, why, why, why do we need to come to the church, right? And, uh, and you know you know how this is. Like, you know how you, you always have the answer once you leave? Like, I just sat there like a, the, the deer in the headlights, and I was like, boy, I know I have an answer for this, but I don't know what it is. But if I did, I would tell you straight up. Like, I just knew there was an answer, but I didn't have what it was, you know? And so, of course, I came to me. I'm driving home, and I just realized, here's why. You know, this is why. If you've ever thought that, this is the reason why, and I learned it in COVID. This is the reason why. Because in the small group, there's three things you're not, in the small group, the things that you're not going to have when it comes to churches, you're not going to have the nations, you're not going to have the generations, and you're not going to have the gifts. Here's the reason. If you've ever wondered it, I mean, house church, right? House church, it's cozy. I know you. You know, we're doing live, you know, okay? Here's my guess, just by sheer demographical statistics, right? If you got in a small group with the people that you liked and are like you most, and you just got in there and you spent 52 weeks on Sundays, and that was your church, you had no connection with the, with the overall local church of diversity. Here's what probably is not going to be there. Probably, if you hung out with people that are just like you, you probably don't have any nine-year-olds there. And nine-year-olds are part of the body of Christ. Did you know that? And you and me, even though we're smart 40-year-olds, need nine-year-olds. Like, that's a part of the design. That's not a flaw. You know who's probably not at your church if everybody's there is like you? It's a good chance that nobody's been through seminary. You know what you need in your life? Because it's a body and not just one part, not just an eyeball walking down the street. You need people that have been through seminary. You know what you need in your life if you're going to go to church? You need somebody that's seen a miracle. You don't want to be hanging out with people in church and not have anybody that's ever seen a miracle because you're going to be missing a part of the body. So this is my thing to you. you know, every, every time there's new people and I, I, I cannot... I would so much rather preach a sermon than go visit a church. I, I just, visiting churches and dragging your family into church and meeting new people and deciding if this, I empathize with you. But here, I'll just give you my little 40-year-old tip, okay? Here's my thing. If you're coming into a church and you're seeking the rest of God to see if this is your home, the first thing you're going to look for is people like you. If you're above 50 and you don't see anybody over 50, you're like, ah, I don't belong here. This is what he says, right? This is what the idea. If I don't see people that are 50, I don't, I must, this must not be my church. And so this is my advice to you. If you're 50 and you're looking for a church, make sure there's at least one other person that's 50. But also, potentially, you're called to churches not just because there's people like you, but also because there's people that are not like you. Maybe the reason why you're there is not to find more people like you, but actually to serve and submit and devote yourself to people that are not like you. Because here's what I hear a saying. The reason why house church, and I love house church, and I'd be a part of house church, and maybe that's a seasonal thing, but in terms of like the intimate, the social, the plus 150, loving people in Christ that you'll never meet before is part of your baptismal process, right? And, and, and here's why, here's why. Because God's too big for a small group. That's how I say it. Why is it that we need to be in church beyond YouTube? Because God is too diverse and too colorful and too dynamic and too different than you to trust your small group to embody him. We are part of the intimate church, the private church, the social church, the public church. We are part of God's church, and it's indivisible. 
And so if I have created some image of church in my own image that amputates me from other bodies of Christ, I'm not in a good spot. We need people that have been uh, orphans before. We need people that have been through war before. We need people that have been in divorce before. We need people that are struggling with infertility before. We're blindsided if we're not with people that are African-American and Asian and all different parts of the Bible body because the church is generations and nations and gifts. And if it's not there, then it's not the, the whole story. So he goes on. It's not only, it's only difficult because we're different, but it's difficult because there's inequality. Like not in terms of value, but in terms of like there's different parts and not all the same parts have the same amounts of strengths and weaknesses. That makes it very difficult, but that's not a bug. That's a feature. That's not a flaw. That's a, that's, that's a design issue because it's a family. So he says it in verse 21. The eye can't, for example, say to the hand, ah, I don't need you, man. I put you on the pro-con list, and man, you're a little bit, you're more of a liability than an asset in my life. So I'll be over here. Okay, like that's, that's not how a body works. Even the smallest little pinky toe, you'll realize when you break it how much you need it. The head cannot say to the feet, ah, I don't really need you. You smell bad today, right? On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, isn't this how the gospel works? They're actually super important, indispensable parts of the body. Verse 23, the parts that we think are less honorable, you know, like they, they, they don't talk <clears throat> super great, and they're not funny, and they're a little boring, and you just zone out when you're talking to them because it's like they're not, they're not interesting, right? Okay? No, they have special honor. They're so important because they're probably seeing things that other people don't see, and they're not whipped around by the social status, right? And so, so, so actually, they're, 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 they're super important. They have a lot of honor, and there needs to be a Christ-centered value on them, not a talent-centered value on them. And the parts are unre- that are unrepresentable, those that are going through hard times, those that are stuck in sin and just can't seem to get out, that remind us of it was grace that got us out of messes because we realize how hard-hearted and knuckle-headed people are. Those people are really valuable too, and we, and we cover them. We don't, we don't just shame them and call them out and, 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 and corner them. And we treat them with several, uh, special modesty. Verse 24, while our presentable parts need no special treatment, that there's honor that's dictated about, the value that a person has on their life is dictated on Christ and not on idols. Okay, so, so God, again, so here's, here's, and then we zoom out to the head and we realize why all this is happening, both diverse people and also unequal, uneven levels of strength and have and have not within the church is a design feature. It's not a bug. But God has put the body together on purpose, just like that, just because of the way he wants it. Pinky toes, eyes, armpits, all the whole thing. God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part, if one part suffers, like I broke my toe in basketball last summer and had to go to the beach, and my whole body didn't get into the ocean. <laughs> because I don't want to get an ingrown toenail, the whole body is not swimming this summer. Because one for all and all for one. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Not only is it hard because people are different, it's also hard because people um, are, are, are difficult, that they're not, they're not uh, having the same have and have not level. So um, when I was in college, uh, I got to like, yeah, like the youth group was talking about, really just see my, my faith come up out of the bubble. And I got put in the deep end at IU with a bunch of atheist professors and um, and a pretty secular environment, and frats, and sororities, and all the types of things that goes, goes on with 40,000 kids at this school. And uh, it's just by God's grace, it's strands of human kindness that I end up in Campus Crusade for Christ, and what the enemy can use for evil, he will also turn for our good. And that moment is not there to break you, it strengthens your faith, and it makes you hunger for him, and it realizes how dry and weary things are, so that your roots would grow down deep, and it doesn't have the cool band with the fog anymore, like it's better be about discipleship, or it's going to be about nothing, is what you learn real quick in that, 
And I get involved with Campus Crusade, and, and, I, and, and Jesus saved me at Calvary, but he keeps saving me. Like, I keep running away from him, and he keeps finding me. That's how good God is. And he puts me in a little small group, okay? And, and so it's maybe 300 kids in 40. This is a little pond of 300 kids in Campus Crusade for Christ in Indiana with 40,000 kids, and somehow God leads me to this place. And I'll tell you, man, if you've been in college ministry, it's awesome, and like, you know, you're passionate, and there's like no children's ministry or deacons meetings, and you're just on fire for revival, right? There's no nine-year-olds, right? And so it's awesome until it gets old. After a while, on that second year, you're like, I do not want to eat one more uh, lighter fluid tasting burger out of this guy's pontoon boat. I'm going to throw up. Like, I am so done broing it up. Uh, just using Christianese, like, that bro is solid. That bro is so solid in the word, bro. He just reads his Bible. That dude is solid. I'm going to be like him. He's so solid, and we disciple each other. Like, I'm over it, dude. I'm like, where are the kids? I'm just like, I need something that doesn't taste like lighter fluid, you know? And the, girl, and the girls, I don't know what your experience was, they all have the big earrings and the scarf, and they're like, oh, me, I'm just saving my heart for marriage. You know, it's just like the whole, the whole Christian thing, right? You know? I'm like, we need, we, just, we need the family. Where's the people? Where's all the weird people, you know? And so uh, uh, we go visit uh, uh, um, long-distance dating with Kyra at the time. She's living in Greenville. She's, like, more mature. You know, she's, like, saving up money going to, the, uh, to Greenville Tech. I'm, like, gouging money for no reason at all at Indiana University. And, um, and we go get hooked up. New Life Church, a little small church, and we serve uh, the ARC Special Needs Ministry. Have you ever served at a special needs ministry? Oh my goodness, if you had an ego, there's like uh, just snipers just shooting ego bubbles everywhere, like just taking the ego bubbles out. Like, why am I comparing myself about being solid? Good grief. Like, we get into a puppet ministry. You know what a good, arrogant person needs? A puppet ministry. You know what? You know what? Like, if Hillsong worship gets a little bit too crazy, like, get some puppets out and it'll be cool, you know? I need the puppet, I need the puppet, you know? And you do the whole puppet thing and kids are like, and there's this guy named Kennedy, and it, Kennedy. And brother just said, he's like Dustin Hoffman, you know, on, on Rayman. And he, uh, he can do the entire, we do it to the Christmas pageant. He can do the entire night before Christmas. It was the night before Christmas and all through the house. And we're, we went to the Christmas pageant and everybody's like dressed up with their sweaters. And there's just tears and gratitude and thankfulness and the spirit and the church. Because all are welcome. Because there's no doors closed to exclude the weak, which excludes Christ, by the way. And all are coming to the table. And somehow strength in that room becomes weakness. And weakness can become strength. Have you noticed sometimes when something can be so strong, it actually becomes weak? If strength doesn't soon find a weakness to serve, it ruins itself. If a young man, a young husband, doesn't realize that his place in the family, that he's, that he's stronger and equipped and ready, if he, if he somehow thinks that strength is for him, he ruins himself. Even on our architectural level as downtown Greenville, like, if the city decides that the best, most important thing about progress is to concrete everything, and runs over the, the garden, it ruins itself. And there's a delicate tension between, between strength and weakness. So here's what it is. Like, why, God, why don't you get rid of poverty? Why don't you make everything even? Why is, why is the church, why are we equal brothers and sisters, but not even in our paychecks? Why are some of us struggling with mental anxiety and depression? And why are some of us, you know, can't figure out our finances? And why some of us are rich and some of us are not? And some of us can figure this out and some of us are stuck. Like, why, why would you allow all these people to come together with different needs and strengths and weaknesses? And here's what I think the general answer is. Because if life is fair, then love can't exist. Love is when love is not checks and balances. Love is not a contract where I just simply say, well, I'm equal to you and you're equal to me, so if you scratch my back, then I'll scratch yours. You know what love is? Love is having power, the ability to lord over somebody and step on them 
And instead of lording it over to them, decided to come under them and serve them up towards Christ. And if I'm held accountable and I have a contract with you that I have to do that, then love is not present. But if I have the ability to run over you, but instead I turn around and decide to love you, now love has shown up. Same thing with weakness. If I'm in a place of weakness and I use politics and voting and, and, and contract in order to like make you serve me with your strength and protect you because I'm using contracts and my strength, then that's not really love. That's control. And so we're big on family here. That's what we're building family. What does it mean to build family? Everybody wants to use that, that term. It's a very trendy term. You know, your CrossFit family and your Parkside Pediatrics family. Like we're going to use that word because it's like feels warm and bubbly. This is my whole thing. Let's talk about that. Family as a definition. I think that family shows up and doesn't show up until until strength decides to, to serve weakness and weakness decides to submit to strength. By choice, not by control. If you want to start a business, then hire talent and fire failure. That's how you have a great business. Hire talent and fire failure. If you want to have an army, then marshal people with, their, with punishments and control. If you want to have a country, then vote on stuff and make sure that everybody's held accountable so everybody gets the same amount of stuff. But if you want a family, then strength has to just wake up and serve the weak. And weakness has to actually trust God enough to trust Christ in that leader, even when they're not perfect, to follow Christ in them. And there's no shortcut to it. That's where family starts, where strength, becomes, where strength yields itself to weakness and weakness yields itself to strength. This is how we would build a family. So, so there it is. So then he, he, he kind of clarifies what he's been saying all along to help us understand the confusion, the chaos of community. When you're standing outside there and you're just about to come in and you're searching for a church and you're wondering if you fit and you wonder if you need the people here or if, wonder if you belong here and you're going to come in the doors. He's telling you right up front in those doors by the Spirit. He's like, look, when you come in here, just realize it's a family, not a business. And so you're not going to see um, clones. You're going to see disciples. You're going to see children. And they're going to be very different from you. And you need to respect that because it's not on accident. It's on purpose that I've done that because Christ is a body. He's not a business. He's not bricks. He's living stones that are built up, each one unique like a snowflake, and here's what the big aha, the big kairos moment has to be for us, is that we actually recognize that our differences are gifts, they're not weapons. Our differences are here to submit and serve one another, not to lord over one another, as the Gentiles do. So verse 27 says it this way, now you're in the body of Christ if you've been baptized, not just into heaven, but also in the potlucks. Each of you is a part of it. You're not the whole thing. You play a part, and you execute your faith in Christ by submitting the last thing you want to do to one another. Verse 28, and God has placed you in different things. And here's why. Because you are not an Enneagram number. You are not a personality test. You are not um, a social economic distinction. You are a handmade stone to be built up in a living temple because you are a gift and not a weapon. You have been given. You are a gift to be offered to Christ as he offered himself to you. And so some of you guys are not eights on the Enneagram. You're apostles. You're leaders. You go into places, and your attitude is not so that I can make a name for myself and make my follower account go up. You're here to help lost people get clarity. And you're an apostle, and that's what you do. And, and, and the faster you realize that you're not here to protect yourself and create an empire and a triangle on, underneath yourself, but to come and actually make others' life better, to serve others in the name of Christ, that's the, that's the place that you're going to find family. That's where family lives. Second, if you're a prophet, if you're somebody that speaks the truth and you love to just the, the, the maturity of the prophet is to realize that the, the word of the Lord is not to make them special, but to serve the church. Is that somebody out there needs to be encouraged by the Lord, and your question should not just be, well, God told me, so I'm the hero, and I told you exactly what I told you, and I just clock out. I should follow up with you and be like, did, my, did the word that I gave you encourage you? Because that is the whole purpose of, of the word. If you're a teacher, you're not just there to lecture people and show people how articulate you are. Did people leave the church knowing the heart of God? 
seeing the kingdom at hand to repent and believe the good news. If that's true, then you did your job. And if not, then it's time to grow. We are gifts, not weapons. Same thing for miracles and, and healing and helping and guidance and so on and so forth. We've all been across from somebody that uses their gift against us rather than serve their gift. And this is what maturity is. If the differences are for divisions, then I'm against you. You're not my brother. You're my enemy or at least a stranger. And I'm using everything that I can to keep you from me. But if Christ has died and he's raised and he's filled me and I've been bought with a price to be in the baptismal, then I've not just been baptized to heaven. I've been baptized to you. And I owe you his life in me. I owe you my gift on display to serve you. Come what may, no matter if you hit me or thank me or recognize me whatsoever, I'm here as a gift and the gift is given because that, that, is, the, that is the practice of what gifts are. That, that's the value of it. Are all teachers, do all work in miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? No, no. All are different parts of one body and now eagerly desire the greatest gift, which in 1 Corinthians 13 is love. And so it makes me think I, I'll be vulnerable in confession with you. I, I, um, I have many weaknesses. I'll tell you, one of my worst physical weaknesses is I um, have uh, more cavities in my mouth than, uh, than, uh, yeah, than um, uh, Chinese people in China or something. So... Um, I, I just, I'm attracted. I have, I have like a lot of cavities. It's just what it is. I, I brush my teeth. You floss. I floss. I just stay in your lane. I floss. I brush my teeth. I just have bad enamel. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. Well, I told you. It's like I tell the dentist every time. So uh, I do my job. And so uh, over COVID, it was rough for me. I don't know. I haven't been to the dentist and I show up and I, I swear, I think she, I think it was 19 cavities. Like, and she was being like really nice to me. So I'm just with a, like a Tuesday appointment. Like some of you guys go to CrossFit. I'm going to the dentist. I'm just like working on my teeth. And they shoot you up in Novogaine. I listen to like podcasts and all this stuff. And, uh, and this one time the lady gave me the, I was being a baby about it. And she gave me so many shots in my cheek that my whole face was just like Bell's palsy. Like I like, couldn't feel anything. And I went down to the like middle, little midtown deli and I was probably talking to somebody and, you know, not paying attention. And I was like, and I was like drinking. And then I realized I'm like tasting blood in my mouth. I'm like, oh, this is not good, you know? And so basically I did, and I've heard the speech 25 times, you know, of all those cavities I've ever had. Like when you're numbed up on your face, you got to be careful because you just might bite a hole in it, you know, is kind of what could happen to you. And so I had basically over the course of 20 minutes bit a crater, you know, into the side, into the side of my mouth. And so I think what, what he's saying is, is, is like, love your brother and sister is not like be quiet because the van's too loud. Love your brother and sister is because they're a part of you. And in the fog of confusion and the way that the world works, you might think that your difference is a weapon rather than a gift. And you might think your difference is supposed to repel you away from brothers and sisters because they're not like you, rather than come up and serve and submit one another because they're part of you. And at some level, it's not just because you're hurting them, but it's also because you're hurting Christ when you gossip and slander and divide and have apathy and contempt for the people that are next to you in the pews. You're not just biting them, you're biting yourself. And you're going to wake up from your amnesia one day and realize that the person you were hurting was not just them, it was you. That you were separating yourself from the body of Christ and hurting the heart of Christ. Here's the deal. Like, I, you know, Gandhi's little saying, I, you know, I like your Christ, but I don't like your church because your church is so unlike your Christ. It's like the most, the least, the most unchristian statement. I just, I, I don't want to put that in a sermon ever again. I don't know if I ever did that before, right? That I love your Christ, but I don't like Christ. And here's why. Because to love Christ is to love the church. It's not hard to love a miracle-working, kid-loving, truth-speaking person. That's not hard. You know what's hard to do? Loving the people he loved. If you love me, you will love the church. There is no such thing as I love Jesus and my pickup truck. 
If you love Christ, the way that that looks is loving his church, the ones that are different than you and weaker than you and annoying and their breath smells bad. And, and they keep on bringing up the same topics over and over again. That is part of your baptismal. That is, that is not aside from it, annoying little grievance. That is part of it. That is actually dead center, really, of what it means to, to love Christ. This is, this is what it means, is, is, is that it's hard to submit to somebody that isn't like, how do you follow somebody that doesn't look like they're following Christ? And here's what, it, you know what it is? At the, at the end of the day, this is what it is. When you love somebody in Christ, this is what you're doing. You're making a wager. If I follow you, if you're my leader, and I see that you've got ugliness in your life, but I follow you anyways because I submit to you in the Lord, here's what I'm really doing. I'm betting on his salvation over your sin. I believe at the end of the day that the tomb is empty and that though your sin might be great against me, I believe his salvation is greater. And so me following you is not because you're a great leader. I'm following you because I believe that Christ is in you and I'm betting on him. I'm not betting on you. So what does it mean to to, to love Christ and and to love the church is to trust that all things are being worked out for the good of those who are called, which means everybody, the intimate circle, the private circle, the public circle, all of his body is being led that way. And me following you and committing to you and submitting to you and serving you over and over again in love is my faith in him, not you. It's based on him and not you. And so this is why I've kind of understood when the fog clears and the amnesia wears off and we actually sink into maturity is that you and I are not so different after all. We have way more in common than any other social class or Kiwanis club or basketball team, or you and I have the blood of Jesus in common. But you realize that the older that we get, it's like, yeah, I mean, you were cute in high school and you had the boyfriend or something and I'd stroke, whatever that stupid little difference is, right? But at the end of the day, we're out here like sheep among wolves, getting torn apart by an enemy that's trying to, to kill and seek and destroy us. And the minute I step away from my pride and the amnesia of my mouth wears off, I realize like, I need you. <laughs> You're a part of me. This isn't about political correctness, so I just say the right thing and don't offend you and go to sensitivity training. This is the tomb is empty, so I belong to you. And, and, the, and the death and the burial resurrection of my baptism puts me with you and ties me with you in a deep way. This is the deal. Like, I, I've come less and less respect for people. What is maturity? Maturity in Christ is not because you know the Bible, right? It's, uh, this is really what I think he says to be perfect as your heavenly father. is not just to know the Bible, not just because you can pray in tongues, but because you love people that are different from you. This is what I end up looking at when it comes to the full maturation of the body underneath the headship of Christ. Maturity looks like unity. It looks like somebody that can, that can look past every single stupid social barrier, political barrier, and say, I see Christ in you, so I'm going to love you. What, your, the definition of your identity in Christ is greater than any other tag and hashtag that somebody wants to put on you, so I choose you even when I don't feel like it because I trust Christ. I might not trust you, but I trust Christ. So the question I have for us today... Um, and I'll put up on the screen, I'll, I'll invite um, Justin Ford and, and, and the team for, to just lead us in, in, in prayer and worship. But you might take a picture for your small group uh, with your friend, long walk of tea with Jesus. If the person next to you, like, they annoy you, you have nothing in common, they are your brother and your sister in Christ. If that's true, my question for you is, your difference, your gift, the things that makes you not them, do you use that for them or against them? I think that life as discipleship is a maturity of growing to see I am for and never against the body of Christ in those four categories, the intimate church, where everything is known, the private church, where we gather weekly and, and we share burdens with one another, the social church, where there's, there's power and strength and diversity, and probably the answer to my prayer is somewhere in this room, the public church, this is where we're baptized. Where am I living for and against? Some of us are so busy in the public sector and we're, we're in ministry 
And we're just like, yeah, we'll get together with, with my best friend one day and share. No, he's like, that's, that's, that's essentially important that you have intimate people in your circle that you share with. Oh, no, I have the house church, and we're cool because we really get it, and we love one another, and we share, there's no walls. There's no, 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 you were baptized into the public church. You were baptized into the nations, and you, and you owe your life to that because of the life that he gave. Where are you being called to make time for the intimate church, to share your heart? That's a decision to be made. And oftentimes we go on autopilot. We are not sharing with anybody. Where are we called to care for the private church? The best thing you can do in a room of 12 is to care for one another because you have proximity the way that a pastor can't do. So, so how many times do you come into a small group and you just talk about sports? You would say, devote yourselves to care. Ask how their life is doing. What does that mean to be, to be a part of that person, not just politically correct with that person to check the box? In a room like this, we might dare. Well, I mean, one of us probably can't move things in Greenville, but if all of us, like, right? If, I think that's what God is waiting on this vision for us to fully turn our idols over, that we might fully give ourselves wholeheartedly to, to, the, to the cause of Christ and the earth. At that boundary line, Greenville changes, and we could dare to actually see a city changed with only 120 people. And the public church, that stranger, New Spring Church, and all that church down the road in the church, instead of judging and, and oh, that's why I don't go to that church because I'm real, you know, pray for them. Pray for them. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.